Welcome back. You're listening to Ahead of the Curve, a podcast series produced by the Georgia Department of Transportation. And we're going to spotlight all of our amazing people, programs and projects, of course, that help make our state's transportation network ahead of the curve. So I am Natalie Dale. I'll be your host. So thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to talk transportation. And when you think of the Georgia Department of Transportation, you probably think of, well, you probably think of being stuck in traffic, to be quite honest, because we, we all, we're, we've all been there. Uh, so you think of traffic, you think of construction and road maintenance and, and highways and byways and bridges and interstates, um, very road, bridge, pavement, uh, where we spend, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, a lot of our time is on, on our roads. But what about other critical modes of transportation across our state's network? Rail, transit, aviation, did anyone think of that? Or waterways, that one was, that one was new to me when I first started. So on today's episode, we want to introduce you to several department team members who are working hard to build intermodal partnerships throughout our state and how these contributions are enhancing our state's intermodal transportation system. So we're going to step away from the roads and we're going to step away from the bridges, if you will. Um, and by talking to our first guest, we're so excited, Clement Solomon. So without further ado, the do you want to be the king of intermodal or just the director? <laughs> no. So without fur- so without further ado, the intermodal division director for the Georgia Department of Transportation, our very first guest, Clement Solomon. Clement, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. We are so glad that you're joining us today to talk about something that uh, we know not many people know about. Again, when, as as we talked about, it's it's a lot of roads and bridges. People think we do a lot of roads and bridges, and we do. We do a lot of roads and bridges, a lot of lane miles, a lot of bridges. But your department fascinates me because it's all the things that people really don't know what we do. Uh, but they certainly, I suspect, don't know you. So tell us about yourself. How did you get to the Georgia Department of Transportation? Well, uh, it's less than a year at uh, Georgia Department of Transportation. I'm, I come here through Morgantown, West Virginia, where I headed the rail transit agency called the PRT system. It is an autonomous um, rail transit system that is driverless and runs on rubber-tired vehicles. So you're bringing innovation you're bringing rail. You're bringing you're bringing all the things that people think we don't do, but I think they're going to be surprised after they listen today to know all the things that your department does: uh, rail, aviation, waterways, transit. A lot of interesting things. But you two are interesting because you are a mountaineer by by graduation. Yes. Yes. Uh, West Virginia. Tell us about the state of West Virginia before we talk about the state of Georgia. Well, uh, let me start with the with the university. It's a uh, it's blue and gold, and we are the proud Mountaineers, um, the only football team in the state, and everybody loves the Mountaineers. So that I went to school there, and I have lived there for thirty years, and here I am in Georgia now. So you're from West Virginia. You get to GDOT through you know you, you go through your career, and here you are at GDOT in charge of intermodal, which as we've discussed, so deep. What, 
What was the most interesting thing or the most surprising thing as you sort of delved into the world of intermodal at GDOT? What were you most surprised or excited about? Uh, what really caught your eye? I'd say I'd answer that in two parts. Uh, the aviation side has really caught my eye in terms of the number of airports that are in this spread across the state. We have over a hundred general aviation airports. And uh, when I look at that, uh, the potential for these airports to do so much more and, and serve the state, not just the state, but the region and the nation is, is enormous. And when I look at the waterways, the ports, uh, and the impact that GDOT has in terms of um, helping the ports, there, there's a lot more uh, to be harnessed from that end as well. If you look at the supply, supply chain issues that, that has been going on since COVID, we are making some big progress in terms of the movement of goods and services uh, from the ports in Georgia. So we're competing both nationally and internationally as becoming one of the major port cities, uh, uh, port states um, in the in the world. Right. People talk Georgia, they think, uh, hopefully they think the Braves. Uh, depending on how good our football season is, they might think the Falcons or, or the Hawks with basketball. But freight is becoming just sort of another buzzword in Georgia. Freight has become... Uh, so big, we we all we all use it. We all have things coming to our house, and we talk about our relationship with the ports. So, with freight being top of mind, um, what are we doing as a department? What is what is your department? What is your division doing? What is Intermodal doing uh, to help the movement of freight uh, around that sort of economy? Uh, you know, freight becoming the backbone of our economy, and how important it is for us to get that freight moving through Georgia. So, how does Intermodal play a role in that? Sure, sure. Uh, let me put it this way. We can't roadway our way out of freight movement. So um, with that thought in mind, we should be looking at other modes, and that's where intermodal comes into play. Um, you can move freight, large freight, through rail. You could move small freight through um, air cargo. So the, there, is a, there is a role for all of these modes um, in terms of moving freight. And it's time for us to look at other options and not just rely on our roadways to, to move freight. So what, if you could look 10, 20, 30 years in the future at Intermodal, um, its relationship to freight, its relationship to pe moving people, how does GDOT's Intermodal division um, grow? How does it address problems in the state? I mean, what, what is your you know, sort of 10, 20, 30 year vision of how intermodal, the intermodal department affects transportation in Georgia? It, it's, it's piecing a puzzle together. It's, it's about taking all of these modes and finding the right mix and looking at which mode has the best output or the efficiency or the effectiveness in terms of delivering goods. We also have to start looking at things being exported out of this state and, and, intermodal division can be helping some of those things and take the stress off the, the roadways and look at rail, air cargo, and other means to move freight to not alone outside the United States, but also within the country. And it's 
it, blessing for Georgia to be in that role. I mean, it's how how cool is it to be a state that has so much of an impact on how goods are moved throughout the country? Because uh, we're we're sort of the start line for a lot of that. Um, and and to your point, it, it's not just the Amazon truck that arrives at your house. It's the waterways that how it got here. It's some of the short line rail that it got, how we move it on rail, how we move it in the air. And so, so much in intermodal is how that, that Amazon box gets to our door from, from the road. But think about where it started. I I don't think a lot of people sort of think back to where it started. Um, They just think about how that box gets on their front door every day and uh, that, you know, their local UPS man. Um, But GDOT doesn't do this alone. So we certainly collaborate just as we do with road projects with other agencies. So um, what what are you, how, what have you learned or how have you um, sort of seen our collaboration with other agencies uh, be beneficial for the citizens of Georgia? Who, who are we working with? How are we working together? Well, absolutely. Uh, without any, without collaboration, we don't get anywhere. So uh, the way we interface is through federal, state, and local. So we interact with all sorts of partners FAA, FDA, FRA, from the federal side, from the state, we have multiple partners, Department of Natural Resources, uh, Human Health Services. Um, at the local level, we work with numerous transit agencies. We also work with regional commissions. So um, in all of this, we are successful only through our partners and the various collaborations and the cooperative relationships that we build with them. And you talk, you, you mentioned regional transit agencies, which again was something that I, I wasn't aware of because when I left college and moved here uh, many, many years ago, um, I only knew of MARTA being sort of the, the transit organization. And since working at GDOT, I've learned about all of the regional transit groups. So, so it's interesting to me when people who, who, who really only know Atlanta transit as transit, um, these communities throughout the state that have these um, very important, very vital regional transportation options for their citizens. Um, talk a little bit. I know I know we'll get deeper into this in the future, but um, how vital are those sort of regional transit options? And how, when you get sort of hyper local, how important are those to those communities? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm on a personal level very passionate about rural communities and rural counties across America. I've, I've worked for many years in that sphere. And when I look at Georgia, I think there's enormous potential of resource sharing. Uh, when you bring five counties together, the potential that they bring collectively is greatly enhanced in terms of providing transit. We're also not just limiting it to the technology um, front, but also looking at apps and some of the newer ways of implementing technology to buy tickets, we have uh, a program, uh, an app called Let's Ride. So you could have a passport from start to finish. So you could go across county jurisdictions and other places through this regional thinking and regional approach, which we're testing right now, but we think that would be a, a great way to share resources and and make it a lot more efficient and effective. I think it's really helpful p- for people to understand that we think about so much more. Certainly, certainly, I know you do on a daily basis, but we at the department, we're always thinking about more than just roads and bridges. Um, we have a lot of lane miles, we have a lot of bridges, but uh, we also have a lot of communities that 
um, that have local airports, local transit. Um, you know, you've got our, our coastal waterways. So a lot going on there. Um, what are you what are you most proud of from your position? What are you when you sort of get to work every day, you, you know, sign in, log in. What, what are you what are you ready to do? What are you ready to put your energy and your passion into? Well, you would think uh, being a department of transportation that we don't interact with people. We have we touch a lot of small communities, not just in the urban, uh, uh, not a lot of communities, not just in the city, but a lot of rural uh, Georgia. Let me give you a quick example. We, we could have a, a whole community just focused on one business that a, tip, a, a rail car runs. And the jobs in that community are supported by that short rail system that we have. And that little business of, that employs 15 or 20 people um, that that's, that's their livelihood. So we ensure we, we look for opportunities to enhance that and, and better their lives, um, uh, in terms of doing that. So I, I like the people component that goes along with this job, which a lot of times we don't talk about, but it, it has a direct impact on, on people and their livelihoods as you look forward. So the, the federal government has positioned us GDOT as the safety oversight for MARTA. That doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. So can you help me explain exactly what role we play in that? Let, let me start with this. In my previous job, I was the head of a, a rail transit agency, uh, which is uh, a world famous called the PRT system. They're very similar to the Disney system that you have. So that, that was of great interest to me, and now my roles are switched here. I am not operating a rail transit agency like MARTA, but I get to have the privilege of overseeing some of the safety systems there. But more importantly, MARTA is one of the sixth largest system in the country. And it is so important that one fatality is one too many, or one accident is one too many. For us, uh, to oversee and, and be partners with MARTA and to collaborate and look at um, safety, uh, 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 implementing a safety culture and a safety compliance atmosphere or an environment is vital because safety is not anyone's business. It is a collective business of both MARTA and the oversight agency. So that is the biggest challenge but that also is, is a very rewarding activity when you, when you come back at the end of the year and say there wasn't a, a fatality or there wasn't an accident. And that, that might be very ideal, but, but that's, that's our goal, to build a safety culture and a safety compliance environment that we're always looking for the safety of the people that ride the, the train. And that's just a great example of how deep intermodal goes and most people don't know most people probably don't even know about intermodal and now we're telling them things that that are, are even you know we're getting into some of the behind the scenes of how people stay safe how people and things get where they're going that aren't on roads and bridges and it is um, it's such a vital part of the department that people don't know about so if you wanted it, it, what is the one thing you want to leave people with to know about um, about intermodal, the people who work in intermodal, 
um, and, and the work that's going into whether it's transit or rail or aviation or waterways. What, what sort of nugget do you want to leave with our listeners? Well, if, if I were to talk about this, this intermodal team, we are a very diverse team in terms of our education, our experience, but um, it, it is that, uh, that change in environment or the change in the services uh, uh, that we deliver to folks across the state is, is, is also unique about Intermodal because of the things that we do and, and the many people that work for this department. Well, it has been really interesting getting to talk about some of this stuff. Some things I know about, some things I didn't know about, and I know our listeners will be uh, really intrigued uh, to learn more. So we're going to dive a little deeper into some of these different areas of Intermodal in the future, but I'm, I'm so glad that we got to introduce you to so many people today, um, and we look forward to hearing some of the great things that are going on in Intermodal in the future. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. We want you to stay ahead of the curve. Hey, Metro Atlanta. Do you know about our heroes? The Highway Emergency Response Operators, or HEROES, patrol Metro Atlanta interstates and respond to traffic-related incidents in the area. HEROES can also assist stranded motorists with flat tires, dead batteries, or in need of fuel or coolant. So if you find yourself stranded along one of Metro Atlanta's interstates or state routes, dial 511 on your phone and select Option 1 to request HERO Motorist Assistance. This is a message from the Georgia Department of Transportation. Welcome back. You're listening to GDOT's Ahead of the Curve, a podcast about transportation and maybe a little personal stuff about the men and women who work here. In keeping with sort of rounding out all of the intermodal division, all the parts, people say the intermodal department, and they don't realize the intermodal, that's just one word for a lot of different things. So we're going to talk today with Patricia Smith, uh, who is our transit program manager for GDOT. So welcome, Patricia. Welcome Thank to you. the GDOT podcast. Okay. Kicking okay. off, um, we're, we're diving in with the intermodal division. I think it's one of the sort of, I don't want to say least known, but I, I don't think people understand quite the depth of the intermodal department, especially the transit piece of that. Everyone just thinks Marta, Marta, Marta. Yeah. And your job is to do everything. Oh, yes. There's so much. Um, so, Patricia, tell us about all your responsibilities as the transit program manager, because we have a lot of transit. People yes. do, we, we certainly don't get credit for all the transit and everything you do. So tell us what you do. Okay. So as the transit program manager, I have the responsibility of providing supervision, direction, and management to our staff here at GDOT. This also includes financial oversight and administration of federal grant funds received from the Federal Transit Administration. Additionally, we have the responsibility of making sure that the National Transit Database reporting is provided to the Federal Transit Administration. Also, we have the responsibility of developing policies and procedures for each of our sub-recipients just to ensure that they are in compliance with the expectations of the Federal Transit Administration. 
That is a lot for people who say, well, y'all don't do transit. Like, well, yeah, Patricia does transit. She's, <laughs> she's got it. And so d- give me a little bit about your background. How, how long have you been at GDOT? How did you get to GDOT? Um, just tell me about you. Okay. So I have been at GDOT for about four years. Um, I came in 2019, and I actually started as the program delivery manager. Prior to coming to GDOT, I was actually with the Department of Human Services. So I spent about 24 years there. Um, My last position there was as the Director of State Operations with the Division of Child Support. And I will say during my time with the Division of Child Support, I also recognized the need for there to be some type of collaboration with transit. So it's just interesting that it has now come full circle and I have the opportunity to actually oversee transit for the state of Georgia. What an amazing background to come to say there needs to be more from this perspective and yes. now and now to be in the seat you're in and mm-hmm. to be able to really sort of um, put your passion for for what you've always been doing in use in a different way in in this transportation mode so yes. uh, do you do you feel at home here yet i do i do i love it what is tell me about whether it's rural urban transit um thing things that we have rolled out like the app mm-hmm. um tell me about what sort of makes you smile what what you're proudest of i think when i hear a sub recipient talk about the support that they receive from gdot in making sure that they're spending the funding the correct way. That's one of them. And then, of course, anytime we have an opportunity to go out to the public and we hear customers talk about how critical it has been for them to be able to ride public transit and be able to just have a decent standard of living where they're able to get back and forth to work they're able to get to their doctor's appointments they're able to go to the grocery store so i think just being able to hear the benefits that our customers receive from public transit in addition to the benefit that the sub recipients receive from getting the support from gdot so i think just having the opportunity to talk to the public talk to our sub-recipients, and just let them know that we're in this with you. We want you to be successful so that you're able to do the things that you need to do in transit and to continually improve and enhance transit. And it it can be life-changing. Yes. In some of these rural communities, it can be the difference between getting to the doctor or not or Mm -hmm. getting to work or not. And so... And so I think we get, especially when the buzzword transit is applied, we get very narrowed in on Metro Atlanta, tra- Metro Atlanta Transit. Mm-hmm. But how many counties in Georgia have transit programs? Currently 129. So way more yes. than what is just sort of in that buzzword transit. And again, that is transformative to, in those 129 communities, can make a huge huge difference. So um, talk a little bit about the difference between urban transit and rural transit for us. Okay, so rural transit is considered demand response. So this is any of the locations here in Georgia where the population is less than 50,000. And then, of course, urban transit is considered fixed route. And this is for any of our locations that have populations between 50,000 and less than 200,000. And then, of course, we also have large urban, which is over 200,000. So it's not 
it's not a one size fits all term no. too. When no. when we say transit, it's not this type of transit for everyone. You have to, you have to make sure that we are addressing every community's needs. And as we know, Georgia is so diverse. Whether it's yes. you know North Georgia, South Georgia, big communities, small communities, mm-hmm. uh, that's a heavy lift. That's yeah. a heavy lift. How do you think we're doing? I think we're doing great. I, I think I do too. But yeah. but we're, we're partial. <laughs> but I, I yeah. do. <laughs> Um, so how is it, how is it funded? Everyone wants to know when you talk about, you know, we, uh, mostly we talk about our funding, GDOT funding, you know, constitutionally goes to roads and bridges and roads and bridges, which is certainly important for what we do. Um, so how does, how, how do our transit programs get the valuable dollars they need to address the needs of 120 plus communities? Okay. So a large portion of the funding comes from the federal government our transit agencies can actually receive operating funds, and this is for program administration. So 50% of the operating dollars come from the federal government, and the transit agency is responsible for contributing 50% in local funds. We also get um, provide funding in capital dollars, and this is for vehicles, shop equipment, parts, security and surveillance equipment, software, things like that. The federal government actually provides 80% of the funding for that. And then, of course, there is a 10% state component if there is appropriations available in state funds. And then, of course, the subrecipients are responsible for providing a 10% on that. Do you think funding is probably, you would say, one of the bigger sort of hurdles for some of these communities is to, to so. find that match? Yes. Um, and that in the communities, where, where do they get their funding from? One of the things that some of our sub-recipients do is they enter into agreements. So they may have third-party operators. They actually may also have agreements with Department of Human Services. So this is considered purchase of service contracts. So this will assist them in coming up with the local match. Again, that full circle moment for you. Yes. Transportation, Mm -hmm. making difference. You're making a difference. And have been for a while for for many people. I hope I hope you're you're proud of that because because um, I, I know we try to address the needs of the community whether it's a road or a bridge or public transit. But again, um, y- you in the role that you've been at Department of Human Services and and GDOT, like again, you're making you're, you're getting people where they need to to be for their quality of life, and that's really important. So so I I'm excited for people to learn more about you and what you do because it is it. it for outside our little bubble here, it is so transformative yes. throughout the state. So what is, what's the future of, trans, of transit? I think for me, the future of transit is for us to continue to look at opportunities to improve transit, to enhance transit. I think we have to look at ways to continue to market transit because prior to me coming to GDOT, I didn't realize how big of a role transit played in the state of Georgia. So I think the more we can get the information out there about transit, the more that we can help improve the standard of living for so many of our customers. I think when you think about the way that our population continues to grow and industry is coming to Georgia, we want our customers or we want our citizens to be able to get where they need to go. So transit is really critical to make that happen. Uh, 
absolutely. And one way that we've done that in a technology way is this Let's Ride app. Tell tell our listeners about Let's Ride, which is um, just a, a really handy app on the phone. Tell us about it. Okay. So the Let's Ride mobile app was actually launched on Rural Transit Day, July 16th of 2021. And the purpose of this app is to allow transit users to plan their trips easily and conveniently whenever rural transit providers are available in the area. The app is currently utilized by three of our rural transit providers. That's Morgan County Coastal Regional Commission and Southern Georgia Regional Commission. And some of the ways that they're currently utilizing the app is in Southern Georgia, the employees at the Wild Adventures theme park are using the app to schedule their trips to work. In the Coastal Regional Commission, the staff are actually using the app to provide no-cost fare trips in and around the city of Statesboro, only for the city residents. And then, of course, there is a second phase to the Let's Ride app. We're planning to introduce a fare card. And basically, the fare card will allow the riders to use a non-transferable reloadable card for contactless electronic payments whenever they're boarding the vehicles. This fare card will also allow employers to load and credit employee fare card with credits to reimburse the transit provider. So we're really excited about the future of the Let's Ride app. Um, We have some initiatives to continue to market it here in Georgia. So it's a really exciting initiative for us. And I know it will just grow because when you talk about when it was launched, certainly we were sort of in this pandemic sort of up in the air. A lot of people were still working from home. They weren't back in the office or they weren't back at a job. Um, A lot of people were. People go to grocery stores and hospitals. They still had to get there. But now you've sort of got this whole sort of group of workers who may not know about Let's Ride because when we launched it, they were sort of in a pandemic posture, stay home. And so um, hopefully that they're listening and they're going to learn. But I know as we roll out more and more, then it, it will just benefit more people. Um, I think that's amazing. I know I use my phone a lot for Apple Pay, and just mm-hmm. to have that sort of contactless payment is, is invaluable. And so when people say that we are not a technology-driven department, they don't know us. That's right. And when people say, and when people say we're not a transit-driven department, they don't know us. That's exactly right. But I hope they do now because we got <laughs> to talk to you today. And yeah. so um, thank you so much for joining us. I know how important transit is as part of the intermodal department. So oh, thank you. So oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. You might be in traffic. That might not be an option, but we'll be right back. We want you to stay ahead of the curve. of Americans acknowledge that text messaging while driving is dangerous, and yet many people still do it. In fact, text messaging is considered the most dangerous type of distracted driving. Any kind of distracted driving endangers the driver and also their passengers, pedestrians, and others using the road. The hands-free Georgia law prohibits drivers from writing or sending texts, reading messages, posting on social media, and other forms of mobile device usage while driving. Let's end this dangerous habit before it ends you and others. 
Know the rules of the road to keep yourself and other drivers safe. Learn more at gahighwaysafety.org. Remember, don't reply. Stay alive. Welcome back. This is Natalie Dale with Georgia DOT, and you are listening to Ahead of the Curve. So we've talked about uh, many parts of intermodal, again, a really deep and intricate part of the department that not a lot of people know about, but uh, we cannot wrap up without talking about aviation. So our final guest today, as we explore uh, all of our intermodal division, is Steve Bryan, our aviation program manager for GDOT. Uh, And thanks for joining us today, Steve. Thank you, Natalie. Um, Airplanes, aviation, that was your passion. Tell me, how did you... How did you happen upon uh, flight as your passion? Well, I think it started just I enjoyed uh, uh, being up in the air. I was able to do that when I was a pretty uh, a young child. Uh, my, my dad flew a lot um, for his business and got involved uh, going to airports all the time with him to pick him up, take, take him there, that sort of thing. thought it was kind of an interesting place. And uh, when I got to high school, I said, what would be you know, something I would like to do? And I wanted to be a pilot at that time, I thought. And I went through the pilot program at Auburn University. Um, so I went to Auburn and got an aviation management degree. I had, got was a pilot and, and really thought that was where I wanted to go. But at that time, they were laying off pilots rather than hiring folks. So I said, well, I'd like to use my mind. What else could I do? So I became an uh, intern at Auburn University for uh, the Birmingham Airport. And I've never stopped being in the airport business in over 43 years. Well, certainly being here uh, in Georgia, in Atlanta, people, you know, it's synonymous with Hartsville busiest airport in the world, but they're overlooking everything else, all, all of the other sort of uh, really community-based airports that keep Georgia going. So tell us, from that misconception, tell us the wonderful things about uh, airports around Georgia. Well, outside of Hartsfield, there are uh, 102 other airports in our state, which, you know, are throughout the entire, you know, uh, airport system. Do you think the average person knows that? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And they're a very integral part of transportation in the state of Georgia, where, you know, general aviation, which is not, you know, the commercial aircraft that uh, we're used to flying, play a vital role in small business to connecting, you know, communities to the entire world. And it makes it so that economic development can happen in rural places because you can use aviation to get there and, you know, let that be the driver of that uh, particular, maybe it's a foreign industry that can come there and be like their, you know, uh, ability to go to other places in the world. It It makes it so that they can do that. Uh, in small communities. I think that's pretty important to, to the, the job aspects of a lot of rural Georgia air, uh, communities. What, what is the biggest challenge that these airports have? It's always funding. Uh, the funding levels it takes to maintain an airport are pretty significant. Um, no matter whether you know you have a few airplanes a day to, to thousands and thousands of airplanes a day, they're all in the same situation where it's pr- pretty much predicated on the amount of volume that you do. And once you um, you know, have that asset you have to take care of. It's pretty, pretty uh, important to have the funding levels uh, from both the federal and state level uh, come to both of the communities. And you've been at the department how long now? About seven and a half years. And I really enjoy it because I get to use all my experience to help 103 airports uh, maintain themselves. It's, it's a really interesting job because of that reason. In those seven years, what are, what are you most, seven plus years, almost eight, mm-hmm. uh, what are you most proud of? Is being able to support those airports with funding is one of our, our, you know, one of our main reasons why we're in existence. We we provide both state and federal funds to these airports, 
and watch their planning and, and execution of, of projects to keep them both maintained and to grow. Something as simple as runway rehab or, or which is you know a maintenance item, but very critical to those airports to a runway extension that allows them to have bigger aircraft that can come in and uh, support those businesses that they they uh, are involved with. So th- those are all really key. Terminal buildings, other things that are important to the community. Uh, most of the time, I talk to people about you know economic development projects. The first thing they see is the airport. Their first impression is a terminal building a lot of times, and that uh, can set the stage for whether that company comes to that community or not. So also, in addition to to aircrafts, we also got drones, which is sort of a, a new frontier, really. So how has, how has the use of drones, um, the need to regulate drones, rules around drones, how has that um, sort of become part of your daily work? Well, that's, that's interesting. I would say about five years ago, probably 10 years ago when we first started, drones were kind of almost considered toys. Five years ago, they became very serious tools for business use um, for many reasons. And so the department said, hey, we're using these things, but we're kind of just using them sporadically in different, different ways with hobbyists almost, you know, doing that. So they got really serious about putting the program together um, to set policies and training procedures and things like that about five years ago. And since that time, we've grown to about 28 pilots now and 28 drones. And the amazing amount of work that's being done with drones uh, to help both efficiency for safety reasons um, has been significant in, in my mind to use those platforms. Then most of the time, it's, it's optical types of use of those things. Our platforms are putting cameras on, but cameras can be infrared. They can be, uh, which detects heat, things like that. They can do LIDAR, which detects height of objects. Uh, things around uh, you know a road project or even an airport. We we detect uh, obstructions at airports quite a bit with drones, so that's become a, a business tool that's so much more efficient uh, to use. It creates a lot of safety. When um, not too long ago we had to do some bridge inspection work, and you know it, to put up a big um, uh, apparatus to get to the top of a bridge, where so the drone takes you a few minutes. The safety that that brings to the workers and things like that's amazing. And then you get the same same or better results. I think it helps us be much more efficient as a department. It, what other sort of uses does the department use drones for? Well, you, anything you can think of from uh, looking at environmental um, aspects of a project where you can get out into a large wetland area, say, and see how big it is and surrounding uh, surrounding area by not having to tramp through it. You go just uh, above, the, um, above it itself. I think that's one of the things, obviously, bridge inspection. Emergency operations, we use it a lot for storms, uh, hurricanes. Quick story about a hurricane. Had a, uh, a bridge down in Brunswick, this uh, Sidley Lanier. Um, had something at the very top of the bridge that had broken loose during this, one of the hurricanes. It would have taken days to go up there and find out what that was. They sent a drone up, found out it was just a piece of the uh, the tape that wrapped some of the uh, the cabling. They were able to open that bridge in just a couple hours, which could have been two or three days. So just one aspect of using a drone that really saved time and effort. That's amazing. And so if, if I want to get my drone license... What is what is the what's the the protocol? Well, GDOT, we have excuse me we have a uh, training program that you uh, sign up for, and uh, we train those get those pilots trained to take a test. It's a written test to do that, um, and then we have a, a, a actual performance test that we do as, in, as a department. So, our program basically we run uh, for the entire department uh, a training program, a program that uh, monitors and makes sure we manage the drones efficient, efficiently and effectively. Um, so we do it for the whole department, not just for aviation. Uh, and, and then it's, it's, not, it's not like 
probably being a, a private pilot, it's a little bit, maybe a little bit easier than that, but still a lot of the same types of things have to be you know, gone over to make sure you do it safely. That part of the department and certainly that part of our aviation team is, is quickly evolving. The technology is quickly evolving. So it's sort of what, what is, what's the future of drones at GDOT? Well, you know, drones have started off small. Uh, to, now they're fairly small in orientation. They don't really care anything yet. Um, they're not, and, and I think that's the next evolution where drones will carry things, mostly, you know, like package delivery. I think we see that all the time. Now we're talking people talking about delivering food, things like that. That's all going to progress. But in a business um, atmosphere, you know, it would carry tools to, to a worker that may be up on, on top of a bridge, something like that. It makes it much safer. So that will be the next evolution. Then it'll be package carrying, things like that. Then the last evolution will probably be passenger carriage. It's coming very, very quickly. The technology is there. It's a matter of now the government figuring out how to safe, uh, regulate the safety of those types of things. And I think that it's really the new frontier and it's going to happen very quickly. So I'm really excited about that because I think that it's going to change aviation to a large extent. Making aviation happen in midtown to, you know, out, out to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to downtown, to the airport. It's going to happen in just a few years, in my opinion. And I think that'll be pretty interesting to take some cars off the road, put them up in the air, and the jetsons will happen. So we, you, we, we, we were talking about this with the commissioner. Is that um, at this point, I feel like we were all we were all promised uh, flying cars by this point in the jetsons. I think it was actually this year that we were supposed to have flying cars, and so we're not there yet. But there's there's so much technology we use as a department that people people sort of see us, you know, milling and paving a road building a bridge, but people don't see the technology, whether that's signal timing or, or drones, they don't see how much technology and how quickly technology is being adapted by the department. So, um, to, you know, you sort of addressed everyone's concerns about um, what is sort of the, the wild west of, of drone and regulation. What, what are the biggest concerns it, when you move forward with drones? Certainly the safety aspects, number one, and, and the, the, the Federal Aviation Administration has been moving sl slowly to make sure that things are taken care of in a safe way. You're not allowed to fly over people um, for a while. Now you're allowed to do that. You're not allowed to fly at night. Now you're allowed to do that. But it was progression of safety uh, implementation, uh, lighting of, the, of those kinds of drones, making sure they're registered and you can see the registration on the side of the drone. Um, to making sure that they, uh, you have to fly over people, you have to have a parachute on this on this device, which allows it if it if it were to fall at a right, rapid rate, it would the parachute would deploy and, and hopefully not hit anyone. So that's kind of the evolution of safety that happens. So it's going to be the same way with package carrying. Um, right now, they're kind of a, in the midst of how do we control the airspace that they're in, and you know what what levels of control. Right like now, they can only go up to 400 feet. And then above that, you know, they want to go higher than that, but there has to be some air traffic control procedures put in place to make sure they don't conflict with passenger carrying your real aircraft these days. So it's progressing fairly quickly, but, you know, people don't see that if it doesn't happen next week, you know. Right. And you, you read my mind. Is there, a, is there a specific air traffic control for drones, uh, or is that sort of coming next? Not, not yet, but it is coming because somebody's got to decide at what point the federal government through the FAA handles air traffic now, do they go all the way to the ground? Do they go to 400 feet? And then who, who controls it from there? So there's a lot of people playing in that arena right now. There's not really a lot of clear picture on that, but it's probably going to take two or three more years for that to happen. 
But in the meantime, actually, technology is much faster than than the government control has figured out so far. So, I think that all the flying cars—they're really here. They're really there in in terms of being able to do it technology-wise. But now we got to figure out how to put them into the system. Right. Um, so, keeping you in the air, uh, I'm going to ask you to dig into your dig into your memories. What is the best flight you ever took? Best flight I ever took. It can be. It could be a long flight. It could be a short flight. It could be a great terminal. What was the best flight experience you ever had? Best flight you ever took. Obviously, when you're solo an aircraft, it's probably pretty exciting because uh, they let you up there by yourself. Exciting. That is a word for yeah, it. Yeah. I would so I was. I was pretty. Uh, I remember that was pretty exciting to do that. But uh, after that, you know, it was probably uh, just flying in some very unique areas. Alaska. I was able to uh, fly to the top of Denali. Uh, with some, uh, you know, with, with a, a pilot that was used to, to the area, of course, but he let me be the, the co-pilot. That was pretty fun. So we flew the top of Denali, landed on a glacier, and that was pretty unique. I can tell you that. That is that is the best answer. Um, I I don't know how many people have done, probably no one listening has done that. So recommend ten out of ten to fly uh, the top of glacier. I would say that's probably top one or two of the things I've ever done in my life for sure. The interesting thing about that flight is the, uh, the the pilot was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, short sleeve shirt, to the top of Denali, and it was you know probably 20, 30 feet of snow and up up there on the, the glacier. And I asked him, I said, well, "Have you ever you know you ever got stuck up here with your you know your short sleeve shirt on?" He goes, "When we got up there, it was like twenty five degrees, but you know with no humidity in the air, it felt like sixty five degrees. Really? So when he got out, it was like we had to take off our jackets that high up. That's, that's the difference in, in how temperature really presents itself to, to the human body, at least. What an experience. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Certainly nice to sit down and talk with you today about a part of the department that, that is certainly interesting to me, but I don't think enough people know about. And so um, we're, we're glad you joined us and we hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you very much, Natalie and War Eagle. War Eagle. <laughs> Y'all can't cut that. like to thank our special guests from the intermodal division for joining us on today's show and certainly we want to thank you for joining us it's amazing how these team members are contributing to the success of our department our state's transportation network is even more connected beyond our roadways and bridges due to their hard work and the hard work of the intermodal all of the members of the intermodal division here at gdot join us next time as we continue to spotlight the amazing people programs and projects that make Georgia DOT ahead of the curve.